you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Stephen, uh, and it's a joy to be on staff here uh, at City on a Hill. Uh, and I'd like to add my welcome to the ones uh, that you've already received this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited uh, to be celebrating our fifth birthday uh, next Sunday morning. It's going to be an incredible service. Uh, and part of the service is we're going to have a handful of people getting uh, baptized uh, or dedicated, uh, both infants and adults. Uh, we've still got room for more people if you're interested uh, in being baptized or dedicated. Uh, but today's the final call out. Uh, if you would like to be baptized or dedicated, uh, we're keen to lock that in. Uh, so we need you to head online today uh, to koa.co slash briz, uh, fill out the expression of interest form uh, so that we can follow you up uh, about next Sunday, uh, but also about a baptism class that we'll be having uh, tomorrow night on Zoom. But this morning, we're following on from last week's passage in Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you have a paper Bible uh, or an app, could I encourage you to open it and keep it open to follow along uh, as we follow the story. Uh, if you don't have a copy of a Bible, uh, we'd love to gift you with one. You can see our team out at the info desk uh, and they'd love to provide you with one. But as we come to God's Word, would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, uh, we come before you grateful, uh, thankful that we can gather physically uh, together. That We thank you that uh, your Word, uh, we thank you for your Word that has already been read out. Uh, and as we dive into today's passage, would you be at work in our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit that we might encounter Jesus? 
would you be at work in our midst, transforming lives for the glory of your holy name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember the excitement uh, back in the year 2000. Uh, Queen Elizabeth came and visited Australia. But she actually came and visited uh, a small town where I'd grown up, uh, a town uh, called Burke in western New South Wales. This was a big deal. People came from all around. Some traveled hundreds of kilometers uh, to come and see the Queen. The town prepared for months in preparation for her arrival. Uh, the Queen was coming. Everyone had heard about it and everyone was excited. When she came, the streets were lined with crowds of people, all waiting in anticipation to catch a glimpse of Her Majesty the Queen, and perhaps even to hear any words that she might speak. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, Jesus returns to Galilee, and we see that there is a crowd waiting for Him, a crowd waiting in anticipation of what He might do and say. As we read last week, Jesus had sailed across to the other side, to the land of the Gerasenes. Uh, And after the people of that land had seen Jesus cast a demon uh, out of a man, they were afraid of him. uh, And they asked him to leave and to go away. So he returns to Galilee where he is met by this crowd. Jesus' reputation as a miracle worker and as a teacher had begun to spread far and wide, and these people had gathered in anticipation of what might happen next. In today's passage, in Luke 8, 40 to 48, or even through to the end of the chapter, we actually see two encounters that Jesus has uh, with people. Firstly, there's the encounter that he has with Jairus, uh, and this encounter bookends the second encounter with an unnamed woman. These stories are intertwined. Both Jairus and the woman come to Jesus with a sense of expectation and hope in what he might be able to do for them. Along with the crowd that is gathered with them, they have heard reports of what Jesus has done, of the lepers he has healed, the dead raised back to life, of demons who have been cast out. This man, Jesus, has a power and an authority that no one else, no other teacher has displayed. Can he help them with the issues they are facing in their lives? Let's have a look, a closer look at these encounters. Having arrived back to Galilee, Jesus is met by Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, who comes to him and falls at his feet, imploring him to come to his house to heal his daughter who is dying. Now, Jairus is an important man. The status of being a ruler of a synagogue means that he's someone who is significant in society. He is known by the people as a significant person. He calls the shots, he organizes services, uh, and yet... Here we see him, such is his distress that he falls at Jesus' feet in front of the crowd and he earnestly begs Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. 
not being a father myself, I can only imagine the anguish that Jairus must have, knowing that his 12-year-old daughter is so sick that she only has moments to live. In this moment, he doesn't care how the crowd perceives him. In verse 42, it says, as Jesus went, which implies that Jesus was moved by Jairus's request and he goes with him. So, so far, so good. Jairus has reached Jesus and he's convinced him to go back home with him. But then as they make their way to Jairus's house, we come to our second encounter. Battling the crowd, Jesus suddenly stops. Someone has touched him. And Peter's like, don't be ridiculous. Of course someone has touched you. We're pushing our way through this crowd. I don't understand what you mean. What did you expect? But it wasn't just a physical touch that had stopped Jesus in his tracks. Jesus had perceived in that moment that his power had been used, that it had gone out and it had healed the person who had touched him. So the big question was, who was it? In the meantime, can you imagine what Jairus must be feeling? His daughter is dying. Time is short. And here Jesus is stopped in the middle of a crowd asking who touched him. Jairus doesn't know if his daughter is still alive at this moment, and yet the one person who could actually save her is now suddenly distracted. Luke 8.43 tells us who touched Jesus. It was a sickly woman who had a discharge of blood for the past 12 years. This woman with her discharge of blood was unclean, Uh, And according to the religious law, she would remain unclean until seven days after her discharge had stopped. But it hadn't stopped for the past 12 years. Uh, This religious law is explained back in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 to 31. Uh, The verses will be up on the screen, uh, and I'll read them out. Uh, In Leviticus it says... If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of her discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity." And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, And bring them to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle, 
that is in their midst. One commentator on this passage from Leviticus writes, These conditions, which talking about bodily discharges both of men and of women, were thus not evil in themselves. They only prevented one from entering into the worship of God with other members of the covenant community. The presence of uncleanness in the tabernacle precinct would defile the dwelling place of God. If you remember, for those who were around back to our series in Exodus, there were very strict measures in place with regards to who or what could enter into God's presence. Uh, It also detailed the purification process that they had to go through. Only that which was pure and undefiled was allowed to be brought before God. Uh, Bodily discharges, while not evil in and of themselves, still made a person unclean, thus preventing them from engaging normally within society uh, and from being able to engage in worship in God's tabernacle or in the temple in the New Testament for certain periods of time. In the case of the woman in Luke 8, she's been cut off from being able to worship God with other members of her community for 12 long years. And not only that, but generally in society, she's also been cut off for that time frame too. Can you imagine the state of mind that she must have been in after those 12 years? Today, mental health is a big issue around, particularly around the COVID lockdowns and isolation and the restrictions that come with the lockdowns. This woman has been in isolation for 4,380 days. It's, just, it's not just that no one was able to touch her during that period, but they also couldn't touch anything that she had touched. Otherwise, they too would be made unclean. So consequently, she would have been avoided like the plague. This woman should not have been anywhere near the crowd that day. Unlike Jairus, who is of high standing in society, this woman is a social outcast. And yet she too has heard the reports of what Jesus has done. And having had no success with doctors, there is literally no one else for her to turn to but Jesus. If anyone could heal her, it would be Jesus. But knowing that the consequences of being found out would be drastic, her approach to Jesus is very secretive. She sneaks up behind Jesus, reaches out and touches the back of his garment. And in that moment, as her fingers touch his garment, immediately she is healed. She knew that she'd been healed, and in that very same moment, Jesus knew that his power had been used, and this is what had brought him to, this, to his abrupt stop in the midst of that crowd. We can tell by Peter's response that he was mystified by Jesus' question, that he would even ask who had touched him. But Jesus knew that something had happened, and he wasn't about to move on, until this matter had been resolved. In verse 47, 
we see, it says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Despite trying to fly under the radar, this woman knows that she's been caught out. And she's fearful of how Jesus and the crowd might respond to her, given her embarrassing past and given how she's tried to sneak up and get away with uh, being healed by Jesus. So she comes trembling to him, and like Jairus, she also falls at his feet. And she declares to all who are gathered there what Jesus has done for her. By all rights, her touching Jesus should have rendered Jesus unclean. However, because of who Jesus is, rather than her uncleanness affecting him, his power over sickness and disease affects her, miraculously healing her instead. And then rather than rebuking the woman for being out in public or for trying to sneak up on him, Jesus responds to her in verse 48, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus' response is not one of criticism or negativity. It's one of love and acceptance. He calls her daughter, openly declaring that she need not fear coming to him. He also recognizes and affirms the faith that she has put in him. It is because of her faith in him that she is now well. But there's about to be some bad news. In verse 49, we see that while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, from Jairus's house, comes and says to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Deep breath. Can you imagine how Jairus must be feeling in this moment? He had come to Jesus with the hope that he would heal his daughter before she died. They might have even made it had it not been for the distraction of this woman. I mean, sure, her condition wasn't great, but it wasn't life-threatening. She'd been living with this disease for 12 years. Could she not have waited a few moments more? Couldn't Jesus have just coordinated it so that he came back to her after dealing with Jairus' daughter first? But no, he didn't. And now she is dead. And I imagine that Jairus is rightly devastated. So what is Jesus' response? Having heard what the messenger has said to Jairus, Jesus says to him, Do not fear only believe and she will be well. Now, taken on its own, this comment is not overly reassuring. However, the person telling him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well, has just shown his power and authority over sickness. What Jesus is saying is, Jairus, you've heard the stories about what I've done. It's why you came to me in the first place. You've just seen with your own eyes what I am capable of doing. Trust me, it's going to be okay, I've got this. 
And in the midst of his grief and his sorrow, we see there is still a glimmer of hope that Jairus holds on to as he continues to trust in Jesus, taking him to his house. When they arrive, Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, as well as Jairus and his wife, into the room where the girl's body is lying. And in verse 54, uh, it says, But taking her by the hand, Jesus called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. That's good news, right? Jesus comes through. Jairus' daughter is restored to life. Despite the hiccups in the timeline that Jairus probably would have preferred, he gets to witness Jesus raise his daughter from death to life. Jesus' timing was on point. He didn't arrive late. Uh, And because of his timing, he was able to show that he has power and authority, not just over sickness, but also over death. Take a moment and consider what Christ has done. What powerful encounters both Jairus and the woman have had with Jesus. As we've looked at these two encounters, there's a word that keeps popping up. It's the word faith. It's a word frequently thrown around. I have a faith. I have faith in this or I don't have faith in that. But what does the word actually mean? Faith means to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And we all apply this concept, uh, or a lack thereof, on a daily basis. If you set an alarm clock, you show your faith in that alarm to wake you up the next morning, or in the afternoon if you're having a nap. Uh, If you don't trust that your alarm will wake you up, chances are it's likely that you set multiple alarms in order to ensure that you're awake. This is just a more simple example of having faith or not having faith in something. But when it comes to bigger issues in life, what or who is the object of your faith? What do you put your faith in? When things are going well, what is the object of your faith? In the midst of a health crisis, what is the object of your faith? In the midst of relationships with family, with friends, What is the object of your faith? Money, health, jobs, people, these are all often objects of faith that people trust in. And yet, the reality is they're all temporary and time and time again, they will often fail. If your trust is constantly in the wrong thing, then eventually your confidence begins to wear thin. But what if there was one being in whom you could have faith, in whom you could have complete trust in no matter what is happening around you? Based on the evidence that we've seen in Luke 8, I believe that Jesus is such a being. Do you? Both Jairus and the woman provide us with examples of what it looks like to put your complete trust and faith in Jesus. 
And in this passage, there are three examples of faith uh, expressed by them. And now that we've gone over their encounters with Jesus, let's go back and see how they've displayed their faith in Him and how their trust in Him might help us to do likewise. Firstly, Jairus shows a trusting faith in Jesus. His daughter is sick and dying, but he believes wholeheartedly that Jesus can heal her. But as we read earlier, Jesus gets waylaid by the woman with a discharge of blood, and during that encounter, Jairus' daughter dies. Rather than taking a first-in, first-served approach, Jesus stops his trip to Jairus' house in order to engage with the woman who has just been healed. I can kind of feel the thoughts pinging around in Jairus' mind. Hurry up! We've, we've got somewhere we need to be. Come on, my daughter's dying here. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, do you even care? We don't have time to stop. Have you ever wished that God would listen to you when you tell Him how and when something should happen in your life? I'm sure Jairus was wishing that right then. And even more so when the messenger arrives with the news of his daughter's death. But Jesus' response, don't be afraid, trust in me and it'll be okay. That is a bold faith that Jairus needs to have to continue trusting in Jesus, despite the heartbreaking news that he's received. And despite the timing of events not working out according to how he would have liked them to. And yet we see that despite the grief and sorrow that Jairus has, he continues to place his complete trust and confidence in Jesus. Uh, If he didn't have that faith in Jesus, why would he have continued to take Jesus to his house? It would have just been game over right there, right then. And yet... He continues to trust in Jesus. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of what might be happening in your life right now, but maybe you're going through some really difficult times as well. Maybe you're facing some kind of disease or sickness. Maybe you're journeying with someone else who is. Maybe you've been praying fervently for God to provide healing, asking God to intervene, and yet nothing seems to be happening. Whatever the hardship is that you might be facing, would you continue to keep trusting in Jesus? Would you remind yourself of who Jesus is and of the authority and the power that He holds even over death, as we've seen this morning? Jairus' faith in Jesus led to his daughter being raised back to life. However, there's no promise that this will or won't happen in your situation. In Romans 11.33, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counsellor? 
God's timing, His ways are often not our timing. But in the end, His timing is better than ours. Whatever you're facing, would you keep trusting in Jesus, knowing that there is a day coming when things will be better for those whose trust is in Him. There is a day coming when God Himself will dwell with us, His people. Revelations tells us that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Would you, like Jairus, hear the words of Jesus to not fear, but to only believe? And would you keep trusting in Jesus? The second type of faith I want to point out is the faith of the woman. Initially, we see that her faith is a timid faith. She has an embarrassing past that she has no intention of airing in the open. If she came boldly like Jairus did, publicly declaring why she needed to see Jesus, she would have copped the scorn and the anger of the crowd. She would have been blamed for making those around her unclean. No one wants that kind of attention. Also, maybe she thought that Jesus wouldn't have accepted her because of her uncleanness. However, such is her faith and her complete trust in Jesus and His ability to heal her. She is compelled to act. So despite not wanting to draw attention to herself, she sneaks into position and waits for the perfect moment to touch the back of Jesus' garment. And after she is healed, I love Jesus' response. Rather than rebuking or condemning her, Jesus welcomes her as His daughter. And He affirms that her faith in Him has healed her. Maybe you also have an embarrassing past and you don't think that Jesus would accept you, would accept someone like you. If you would come and encounter Jesus, as we've seen in this passage, you'll find that just like this woman, no matter how timid your faith might be, Jesus will welcome you. And the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the peace that He gives is so much better than living in the embarrassment and the shame of your past. So this morning, would you come? Would you encounter this Jesus? And would you actively trust in Him? So we've seen examples of Jairus and his trusting faith in the midst of timelines that have been thrown out. We see the timid faith of this woman. The final example I want to point out is a testifying faith. It took being called out by Jesus for the woman to declare what Jesus had done in her life. Even then, she came forward, it tells us, she came forward trembling. She was afraid to make herself known in public and to tell of the healing that she'd experienced. It was also countercultural for a woman to publicly speak in those days. However, despite any misgivings that she might have had 
by the grace of God, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Jesus and how she had been immediately healed. What an incredible testimony. Can you imagine the awe and the wonder of the crowd who are hearing that Jesus has just healed this woman without even speaking and without even directing any attention specifically towards her? For them to hear of how her confidence in Jesus led to her healing is a wonderful signpost pointing them to who the person of Jesus is, pointing them to the authority and the power that Jesus has. If you have had an encounter with Jesus and you've put your faith in Him, how is it that He has transformed your life? Would you share that good news as Miriam has shared with us this morning? Would you share that good news with the people around you that they might hear of the goodness of God, that they might hear of the transforming power that Jesus has in your life? Whether trusting in Jesus has led to a drastic change or whether it's led to more subtle changes in your life, would you declare for others to hear how trusting in Jesus has been better than trusting in other things, even if to the human eye it might not look that way? Perhaps by declaring God's goodness in your life, others might turn and put their trust in Jesus as well. Perhaps pointing someone to Jesus by telling your story might help them to have hope in the midst of their own challenges. Even if you're nervous and come forward with trembling, would your faith be one that testifies to what God has done in your life? Speaking of the examples of of trusting faith, of timid faith and testifying faith that we've seen in Luke 8, uh, commentator Daryl Bock writes this, Faith should seize the initiative to act in dependence on God and speak about Him. Yet sometimes it must be patient. In one sense, faith is full speed ahead, while in another it is waiting on the Lord. Our lives require a vibrant faith applied to the affairs of life, but it also requires a patient waiting on the Lord, for the Father does know best. As I invite the band out, earlier in Luke 8, we're pointed to the fact that Jesus has authority over creation when He commands the wind and the waves to be still. Last week, Also in Luke 8, we were pointed to the fact that Jesus has authority over demons. This week, we pointed to the fact that Jesus has authority over sickness and death. All things bow their knee to Jesus. And yet at the same time, this same Jesus is the one who's humbled himself and laid down his life on a cross, paying the price for all of our rebellion against God so that those who trust in Him might have their lives transformed. So that those who trust in Him might have their relationship with God restored. 
Jesus invites all to come to Him, whether you think you might be the cream of society like Jairus, or a social outcast like the woman, or maybe you've put yourself somewhere in between. As you consider who Jesus is this morning, would you see Him in all of His power and authority? But would you also see Him as the one who lovingly opens His arms to welcome you? He invites you, saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' final words to the woman in Luke 8 are, Go in peace. Now, there may be other things which might provide temporary peace in this world. But if you are longing for a peace that is able to endure no matter the circumstances, that can only be found by coming and encountering Jesus. When you trust in Him, you can go in the peace that He gives, knowing that your past has been forgiven, knowing that the God who created all things personally loves and cares for you as an individual. And knowing that your future has been secured because of Jesus' perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His triumphant resurrection. He is the only one who can give you true rest, true peace. Would you come to Him this morning and put your faith in Him? Would you continue to keep trusting Jesus? So I invite you to stand with me now. Let us respond to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he indeed has authority over sickness and death. Would you help us to be reminded of his power, particularly in the moments when things are are looking bleak in our lives? Would you help us to keep trusting in him in those moments? Would you help us to trust in your timing? Thank you that you are sovereign. Help us to remember that our future is secure with you. Help us to keep trusting that Jesus is better than anything else the world might throw at us in its attempts to give us a false sense of peace. And help us to be bold in proclaiming the good things that you have done for us so others might come to put their trust in Jesus. Help us to remember Jesus' love and gentleness towards us and give us strength to stand firm in our faith in him. It is in His name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.